Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Remastered Podcast. I'm your host, Munira Madison, and with World Hijab Day coming up on February 1st, we have a very special episode sitting down with Sister Lisa Vogel. For those of you who don't know Lisa, she's an international fashion photographer and co-founder of the Verona Collection, the first modest fashion brand to be launched, featured, and sold in an American department store. Verona and Lisa have been featured in a major international publication and television outlets like the New York Times, Bloomberg Magazine, Cosmopolitan, Vogue, Glamour, Fortune, International Business Times, Today Show, CNN, Fox News, Huffington Post, and many more, mashallah. Born and raised in East Lansing, Michigan, Vogel is a single mother of two. She has a BA in Marketing and Cultural Studies from Chatham University and currently resides in Sterling, Virginia. Mashallah. Assalamu alaikum, Sister Lisa. How are you doing today? Wa alaikum salam. <laughs> Good, alhamdulillah. Busy, like always. <laughs> As always. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. Let's start off just a little bit um, talking about how you started Verona. I know a lot of our listeners and viewers may be familiar with you through your brand, Verona. What made you start that initiative, that business? It's such a loaded question because honestly, it became like a journey. It was not just like overnight, I wanted to start a fashion brand, but I was a reaver and five years into being a reaver, just like so many other women, it was so hard to find fashionable and modest clothing. So I'm sure you can, re <laughs> can relate. It becomes just this like task where you're like trying to find a long sleeve and then trying to find a hijab that matches and then trying to find loose fitting. And then it just doesn't even look good together by the time you're putting it together. Um, and, but the reality is it wasn't just a business decision as to why to start started Verona, because of course there is a niche within this, within the American Muslim community. What I really wanted to highlight was give Muslim women the confidence, the ones who chose to wear the hijab, the confidence to be proud in their hijab. Because I saw so many women trying, you know, afraid to wear it and not be comfortable in their own skin. So for women really who want, who chose to wear it, I wanted to be us representing and, and give ourselves a platform to be proud of who we are. So that, that's really the, the social aspect of it, of why I was so passionate about launching Verona. Yeah, and that is so important. You know, I know there's a lot to be said, and we'll get into this about the fashion industry and modest uh, fashion itself. But it's really important to not only see representation like in media and ad campaigns, which we're seeing more covered women in ads and things like this due to diversity initiatives, right? But also to know exactly where to go. And I've seen a lot of um, the modest fashion businesses such as Verona, it's really not about the business itself, like you said, it's really about bringing together women to celebrate modesty and your journey in modesty. So what did that journey look like for you? You mentioned you're, you were a revert. Um, I, I'm also a revert as well of five years, alhamdulillah. So about the time you were starting Verona. Um, <laughs> exactly, alhamdulillah. And it's definitely a journey, but it's a journey for all of us, whether we're born Muslim or not. So what was that journey like for, for yourself? So I actually, you know what, a lot of times people don't know that the hijab is what helped me convert to Islam. And that's like a whole other story. But I actually started wearing the hijab before I took my shahada. Okay. I, yeah, but I wore That is something very different. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Mashallah. So 
I, yeah. I just want to go back to how did the hijab help inspire you to convert? So, uh, okay, now that's an even longer story, but um, I was, I went and like you mentioned in the first half, I, I have my degree in marketing and cultural mm -hmm. studies. And then I went into the corporate world and it was just like, this is not for me. I'm going to really pursue something that I love. And I had never like shot photography, but I was just like, I'm going to be a photographer. Like literally like one day I dropped everything. I moved to Florida and it's just, you know, I, I take risks. Um, he's the best of planners he guides you and you were ready you were like okay I got, I'm going yeah um so then I I became I went into photography school and I found an amazing program in Florida it's one of the top photography schools in the country and I went back to waitressing which is what I did in, for my BA right and I entered in you know photography school during the day waitressing at night to support myself there was a project in second semester photography school and um, we could choose to do a little mini documentary on anything we wanted to. So I chose to do a mini documentary on why women wear the hijab. Okay. Because when I was 19, you know, I'm adventurous. So I moved to Morocco and I, I wore the hijab out of, you know, cultural sensitivity and being like, uh, you know, um, just fitting in with the norm. Exactly. It wasn't because of any religious belief. It was just out of respect. But I had no meaning as to why I was wearing it. It was just a matter of respect. So I wanted to dive, dive deep and find out, okay, why do they, why do women actually wear the hijab? Because like a lot of Americans out there, I even had worn it. And even though I worn it in Morocco, I still had some very backwards perceptions about the hijab. Uh, so I interviewed some local Muslims and, um, I was really shocked with the answers and I didn't even know being a Christian my whole life that the hijab was found in the Bible. So I started researching Islam and comparing back to Christianity. And, um, that was the, the journey of me getting into Islam. But when I knew that I was going to become Muslim, I wanted to really start to practice like a Muslim. So I wasn't fully ready to take my shahada, but then I started wearing the hijab part-time. So like when I would wait, waitress at night during the day, I, I wore the hijab. So Mashallah, that's amazing. That's an incredible story, Sister yeah. Lisa. And it really highlights the importance of understanding the why. Mm -hmm. Why do we cover? Why do we wear hijab? Why headscarf? Because that's that was your entry point. It wasn't just the act of wearing it itself. Like you said, you were first wearing it in Morocco out of just respect, yeah. but there wasn't a meaning behind it. And it wasn't until you interviewed these women as to why they were wearing it. What was, can you remember what answer really stuck out and moved you? I mean, what, what intrigued me to then study Islam was that the, you know, it's Corinthians chapter 11, verse six of where the hijab is in the Bible. So that's what actually intrigued me to start to look into the hijab of Christianity versus Islam. But it was really honestly what moved me more was out of principle that we like 
the marketing and, and media, women are objectified and they are given, their identity is completely taken away. And I was pursuing fashion photography. So I became at a roadblock and I'm thinking to myself, I cannot continue in this industry and be a part of the problem to objectify women. Exactly. So I started entering into the modest fashion industry. And that was my pivot point of entering in the modest fashion industry because I wanted to be someone that was um, giving Muslim women representation and promoting and I want, to, I want to be careful when I say promoting the hijab, because I don't want it to say that I want to push my beliefs on someone else, but I want it to be where we're giving Muslim women the confidence, you know, exactly. by representation. Um, but that was my pivot point of changing career and, uh, so, you know, changing my personal beliefs, because I, it was like a veil came off. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> like, right. as far as like, it just I saw I my my eyes were opened as to how much women are objectified, right. and the hijab is what protects us from that. Exactly. A part of a part of the protection, right? And so often we hear the opposite, you know, discourse going on that like hijab is part of the problem of objectification of women because, oh, you just wear it so you don't tempt men. Okay, right. but you're basically reinforcing the objectification of women and saying it's our responsibility to not be tempting, right? And so when you just hear that, and I lived in Muslim communities and Muslim countries for seven years, subhanAllah, before I converted to Islam, and I still had... I didn't have a good understanding of the hijab because what I was seeing is, okay, you're telling me about it's about modesty, but then I'm seeing... Uh, tight jeans, tight everything, and it's just covering the hair. So I, I had this idea that it's just the covering of the hair. This is something cultural. Like you, I had very mis huge misunderstandings of it. In fact, there was a colleague who converted to Islam, and then she started wearing hijab. And I was like, why? We already know what she looks like with, with her hair. Mm -hmm. So this like focus on the hair being visible. Did you experience that as well? Just in the fact that like it's become, um, it, we just focus on the actual covering the hair. Yeah. Yeah. We, I, I think that we, we're, we're losing our way a little bit mm -hmm. as to the meaning of hijab, you know, as a, as a community. And um, I think we're really afraid to be self-aware and self-critical of ourselves uh, because the idea of you can't judge me, you know, comes up. Right. But it's not about an individual, like as a community, I think we're going a little bit too far off the, our way. Yeah. One aspect of it is because like you said, we're in the Middle East, you were in the Middle East and you were saying, you know, it was like almost like the idea was contradicting itself, right? right. Because in some aspect, there are many, many people that wear the hijab out of cultural pressure exactly. and not necessarily understanding the meaning behind it because it's not just about the hair. It's about composing ourselves with modesty it's it is about the physical aspect of wearing looser clothing it's a it, it it's a all of it is combined right so uh you know as a community I do think we're we're going a little bit too far off um but I think it's because cultural reinforcement is of why are we wearing this is not really the discussion it's just you're supposed to wear this because you're told to right yeah. And we have these extremes. And I do want to clarify that I am in no way passing any judgment right. on any sister and how they dress and where they are in their journey uh, of, of modesty. 
um, because it is, it is very confusing, but just from an observation, when you don't know anything else about the meaning, then those contradictions make it even harder to understand. For sure. For yeah. Sure. So when it comes to like my, my experience, very similarly to you, I didn't wear hijab before I converted. I actually fasted for the whole month of Ramadan oh, before I took my shahada. That's so hard for me. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say it. It's so hard for me. <laughs> it's a struggle. Exactly. And it, yeah. there's, there's a lot of struggle intertwined in like what we're asked to do to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because it really does purify your, purify oneself. You know, it purifies your whole, your heart, your soul. You go through a lot of character development and it wasn't until I applied that to the hijab and started viewing it as being almost revolutionary in terms of you're not going to tell me what beauty standards I need to uphold. You're not going to tell me how I need to fit in to be an American or to be an American Muslim or to et cetera. Just like I didn't want to cover just because people were telling me you have to do this. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to, I don't want to not cover just because society won't accept you as much. So that really shifted it for me and viewing it as quelling one's ego as this continuous practice in quelling one's ego and instead of that reframing right that we hear so often um and and we see like working with youth we see the same thing that we're not diving into that deeper meaning of hijab um and also what comes up is the whole but what about men i mean there's so much to say about this but there's a lot of brothers online and social media, et cetera, and they want to quote unquote police women. But then we say, okay, well, what about there's a hijab for men, correct? Well, yeah, actually in the Quran, it talks about modesty and men for men first before it addresses women. So that's hands down and no one likes to address that. Uh, what's interesting is like, if I were to get a hijab shaming comment online, I'm like, my first question is, why are you on my page? I'm a female. Mm. Like if you want to be on my page and you can't lower your gaze, then why are you here? So right. that's, that's first like one aspect of it. I think it's two extremes. It's this extreme, like where we have lost. And when I say we've lost our way, as far as balance, yeah. we're on one extreme where no one, you can't say anything to anybody. Don't judge me. Don't tell me what to do. Don't, I don't want to hear it. On the other aspect of it, you have men which should not be telling a woman ever how to dress right she you that this person is nothing to this female you know and even then so so you don't have a right to tell anybody but the way it's gone about is so backwards whether it backwards islamically and just backwards it's not it would be in no way shape or form effective in any way and in fact it would push a woman away from hijab by sitting there writing comments and saying astaghfirullah this is not hijab like i said one why are you on the page in the first place checking out our photos and two calling anybody out publicly and shaming this way is not going to lead someone closer to Islam and closer onto their deen and encourage them to be dressing more modestly. That is not effective at all. So that needs to stop completely. But and then I think the other aspect is, no, it's not a judgment. Um, I'm talking about it as a whole where we've become hypersensitive mm-hmm. to don't tell me what to do. You can't, you know what I mean? So right. it's like, we need to come into this balance, I feel. Right. Be more self-aware 
but also the Haram police needs to stay off people's pages. So exactly. <laughs> exactly. And this this all goes back to Islam being a balanced path, a balanced way of life. And there's an adab that we learn from our prophets about how to give advice. I remember the first time I walked into a mosque here, the very first time, and I'm I'm trying to learn to pray. And literally the only thing that was said to me is sister, you're wearing that wrong. Yes. Oh my gosh. Actually, like, so this was my second experience at a mosque. Um, my first one was actually, I was uh, in a very, very small town in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even remember the name of the town. And the lady was very sweet to me. But my second experience was, um, it was in Pittsburgh. And these women came and swarmed at me and they were like, you are not, I was not a Muslim. I was learning about Islam. And I, I ended up almost, I don't want to say I, I stopped learning about Islam. I don't know if that it kind of pushed me away for that moment because I ended up learning about it later. But I remember it was so scary. Like these women came up like swarming me, like you're not dressed appropriately. I had put a hijab on, but then my pants didn't go all the, like mm-hmm. I had like, a bunch of my ankles showing and they came and swarmed at me. And like I don't even want to say how long ago was because I'm not young anymore but like it was so long ago and I still remember like like it was yesterday because it was like almost it was like partially traumatizing it was like scary you're not bringing anybody into Islam or closer to the dean with sitting there attacking now a good approach because it's like we should also be willing to say don't do this and this but okay what is a good approach right befriending a new revert, helping them learning to pray, or or maybe someone doesn't even have to be a revert, you know, being there as a support system, it, like positive reinforcements. Right. Um, this type of approach is going to, you know, encourage people to do what's right and bring them closer to the dean, not trying to sit there in shame. Because just like interest, interestingly, you said, I fasted, but I did hijab. We have to recognize we have different struggles. Fasting is so hard for me, but you did it, mashallah, so easily. I put the, put on the hijab, but I have to recognize fasting is hard for me. And, and maybe, and just a, as hypothetical, maybe hijab's harder for you. So what's one struggle for somebody may be easy for another and vice versa. Exactly. Subhanallah. And uh, like you said, I mean, it's it's not just reverts. It's not just new Muslims. It's also the, the vast majority of our young sisters who are growing up here, you know, they, they're surrounded by the same worldview in which we all live and the same pressure to fit in. And it's very hard to be visibly Muslim. Yes, especially like, I think when we, we first met, you were talking about how you came to Islam as an adult, you started wearing hijab as an adult, but think about our, our sisters and our yeah. children who are growing up and they're confronting the same issues we did as teenagers, as adolescents, but you add Islamophobia, you add misunderstanding of Islam, and you also add this hypersexualization and objectification that is, I mean, it was bad when I was in school and that was before social media was a thing. Now we have like IG, all these filters, like TikTok, you name it, and influencers, the rise of influencers, which there is a benefit and detriment, right, in how to use social media. So there's so much pressure for them. And what what would you say to those listening um, for their children, maybe in their lives, like they were born and raised Muslim, they've been taught, okay, this is about 
uh, modesty, modesty of character, modesty of how you dress, etc. But it's still a struggle for them. How can parents or teachers or, you know, people in the community help them? I mean, I think that's something that's easier said than done. So I think let it let, you know, I'm gonna keep it real, you know, it's like we can give advice. But like you said, I came into Islam later in my life, you know, and as an adult, and I was mentioning to you on the phone and saying, it's very easy for me to say, I'm proud of my hijab, but I'm also at an age where I'm like, I can be comfortable in my own skin and happy with where I am. I figured out who I am and I'm, and I'm at a point where I don't care what people think of me. When you're a teenager, whether, you know, when it was, when I was a teenager, it's hard enough being a teenager, you know, and dealing with all of like, you know, you're trying to figure out who you are. You have all these social pressures. What I, my kids are still very young and they're, they're boys. So it's like a, not a good comparison. However, they are Muslim and they are going to, they are in public school and they will face, you know, potentially they're different because while the kids are playing outside, they're telling, oh no, I have to go to Quran school. So there is a sense of like, you know, we have a, a different lifestyle, but I, so I teach them now, I, I instill them now. I'm like, no matter what, you be proud of who you are mm-hmm. and you raise your head high. And if anybody tries to bully you or tries to, you know, make you feel less than people start respecting you, no matter who you are, when you hold your head up high and you walk with confidence. Mm-hmm. And that is with anything, whether you're like, a, a boy, you know, that's worried about being bullied for being Muslim or a female worrying about being, you know, wearing the hijab because of social pressure. Anything you do, whether you're a teenager or in adult life, when you walk your, when you walk with confidence, people are going to own it. People will end up respecting you for it, even if it's like different. So that's what I teach my kids. Um, but I don't have all the answers and hopefully I pray, you know, that type of guidance, you know, is going to be beneficial for them. Um, But that's the best advice I can give to any, any, you know, teenager wanting to wear the hijab that's facing all these social pressures is just own it and then walk with confidence. Yeah. And especially in our institutions and in in our organizations, our our massaged, our Islamic centers, making sure that just as like a member of that community, being uh, compassionate, understanding that journey has different stages. I remember taking a group of young uh, Muslim girls, their high school, early college age, uh, they actually took me to the masjid to pray uh, in their area. And then they heard the khatra. And the khatra was all about wearing the correct clothes to come to the masjid and we were surrounded by naqabis and men so they knew it was directed to them and they were wearing like baggy sweatpants and like t-shirts and like a loose hijab right on their head but they spent part of their day thinking we have to end our fun social activity to go to the masjid to pray and catch duhur and subhanAllah, like when we got out, they were like, we're never coming back to this masjid. We shouldn't have stopped and come to pray here, etc." I mean, the damage that it can really do, even if you think that someone has a firm foundation, how we treat each other and just being compassionate, right? I was literally about to say compassion is that compassion is the essence of Islam. And we have like lost like the essence of Islam where we are and I know (laughs) 
I, I don't want to be getting into necessarily all of this and I know it's not hijab but it's it's all relevant it's all it's all interconnected and we've you know we, we become this community where everything is just action oriented yeah. and you lose the essence and like this religion is so beautiful mashallah that everything is supposed to be done with such pure with with a pure heart and when we approach people like that you're not like i was mentioning earlier you're not bringing anyone to islam with this approach it's like there's a hadith of you know the man urinating in the mosque in the prophet's time and he said let him finish for a man you know urinating in the mosque and that's how he handled it Mm -hmm. and then to be shaming women or anybody in the mosque you're not you're not bringing anybody closer to the dean. You're pushing them away with this with this mentality. Yeah, yeah, subhanAllah. So going more into the fashion industry, since you are a part of that, you know, I think in terms of our teens and young adults, something that I've heard over and over is it helps them having hijabi influencers, having companies like Verona have a presence on social media and promoting modesty in that it can be fashionable, you can feel confident, you can feel beautiful, it's okay uh, to own all of that alongside, like as you wear hijab and as you traverse this journey. What role do you see the fashion industry playing? Because there, there's a beneficial role like, like that, increased representation and motivation. And then there's also this like, okay, but is this objectification of the hijab now? I would say when it comes to mainstream brands like a Macy's, like an ASOS, or um, there is the element where a hundred percent that representation is powerful. It's like motivating. It helps you know create you know uh, confidence within Muslim women. But then there is, and this isn't necessarily objectification, but you know, trying to tap in just, then there's the element of, are they there for the correct reasons or are they just trying to tap into the Muslim dollar and the market? So like, I hate to call a brand out, but it's like Banana Republic. Um, they went and they put a, a Muslim, like a, I don't know if she's Muslim, but they put a hijab on a, on a, on a female and then they had a, a sleeveless top. And I'm like, you clearly didn't even like, get advice from a Muslim woman and you're putting this out there, um, you're, it, you're, it seems like your intentions are just to tap into the Muslim dollar. You're not really caring about representation. And tokenism, right? A lot of tokenism that came yeah. up in terms of <laughs> let's diversify and be diverse in our marketing, etc. Exactly. Yeah. We don't even ask the advice of a Muslim woman. We're just going to put it on her like how we think she's supposed to wear it. Mm-hmm. Um, but are they, I don't think the mainstream brands are necessarily objectifying now that influencers ourselves, like I said, we are going like 10 years ago when it's kind of became a thing in America. And because obviously the modest fashion industry has been a thing for years when it comes to overseas, right? Cause that's rare. um, but here it's still relatively new. Um, I would say that we came with this we came with this, you know, pride and, yeah. you, you know, it, ha- happy to showcase our hijab, but that's where I'm saying we've kind of lost our way a little bit because I feel like as a whole, we are trying too much to please the mainstream mm-hmm. and not, and, and so we're trying, we're trying to fit in a little bit too much. 
And that's where I think that we need to kind of check ourselves and say, no, 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 no. We need to come back and why did we start? Why did we come into the modest fashion industry? We need to remember that we need to be proud of our hijab. We need to remember proud of who we are and you know, rock it and own it and not worry about pleasing the the mainstream. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's almost like the apologetics, right? This whole idea of having to be the apologetic Muslim, having to be the apologetic community all the time and trying to fit everything that is Islam and your identity into what you're living in and yeah. their expectations. And that's just going to dilute everything and really confuse you, right? <laughs> Yeah. at some point. So I think you make a beautiful point. It goes back to renewing one's intentions. I right. mean, all of the answers are found in our Dean, right? Alhamdulillah. So it goes back to renewing one's intentions. And I think, um, you know, this idea of, I don't know, the whole influencer like evolution, I think, when we talk about social media with, with youth and young adults, especially we're saying, okay, remember to use the tools that are there, the tools of the time to promote your purpose. Don't mm -hmm. let it change. Don't let those tools change your purpose. And I think I'd say the same thing to some of these, right. these influencers. For sure. Social media can be a very amazing, positive, powerful tool, but it can also be the exact opposite. So yeah, exactly. So in terms of community, did, because I know a lot of people, they're, they're seeking community for that support in growing in their journey of hijab and trying to cultivate a relationship with the hijab that is healthy, that is understanding why one is wearing it. Uh, what did you find in terms of resources, in terms of your community, even books, blogs, influencers who you follow yourself? Who do you think is a good person or good resources to look at? Oh, that's a hard question. <laughs> um, well, I think any, uh, hopefully I'm answering the question correctly, but I, you know, you, you can get inspiration from right online and influence and all that. But I think the biggest source of um, inspiration should come from your own friends. You should be surrounding yourself with like-minded friends. Who you surround yourself is like so important. And whether you like, actually, I think Omar Salah, I watched a, a video on Omar Salaman about this last night that he said, whether you like it or not, you will be in, if you right. stay with someone in an extended period, I literally watched this last night. <laughs> I just saw it pop up on my feed last night too. Yes. Because I agree with <laughs> um, if you are with someone for an extended period of time, whether you like it or not, and he said, whether you admit it or not, they will have influence on you. And so, and I actually made a post about this a, a week or two ago that I said, alhamdulillah, like, I'm so thankful that I have a core group of girls that we are, we are fearful of Allah. We check ourselves when we see each other, like getting out of line at all, like off of our Dean, even the slightest. We are sisters where we can keep it real with each other and we and we bring it back because that's that's what love is, is you want to see them succeed in their game. And so I surround myself with sisters that are like-minded and we'll pray no matter where they are. If we're at the airport, I don't care, we're gonna pray. Like we will not like we will not mess up with our dean. So those are the type of people I surround myself. Uh I think that to me is the biggest and best advice I can give to anybody needing um, that extra influence. Yeah. To help 
Yeah. Scientifically, they say like you are the combination of the five people you hang around the most. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, I always remember that. And then I tie that back to, oh, surround yourself with fellow believers and be mindful of the company that you keep. And it really makes such a difference, you know, for some of us, uh, for people who are maybe renewed Muslims, or they are new Muslims, sometimes that lack of community is exactly what is the hardest struggle. Um, I know it was for me. So in that case, having social media, and really seeing other people who were like minded, was very helpful. That's why, like I say, there's a good side and a bad side to like the whole in- evolution of influencing mm-hmm. and social media. Um, and then when I look at that group of girls I was telling you about who went to the masjid, they were helping each other. Like there was one sister, she was only wearing the hijab that day because I was visiting and she was going to the masjid. And now, alhamdulillah, like a month, two months later, she's starting to wear hijab on the daily and go to school in it. But having those friends who were encouraging her, even though their hijab wouldn't have been seen as being perfect, like quote unquote perfect, right? Um, Look at that, you know, look at that deed that they were a part of. And so that takes me to, we've, we've covered it in this conversation already, but that takes me back to the whole idea of hijab shaming. And like what alternative, if you want to help somebody, if you want to help a sister grow in their journey, or even a brother in their journey of modesty and lowering their gaze and watching their consumption, right? How can we approach one of our friends or somebody we see in community with compassion? Maybe we're confused about how to do that. What would you suggest? I don't know if you're going to like my answer because I kind of feel like we shouldn't be approaching someone on that because I don't, honestly, I think that that's someone that's out of line and out of their, it's, it's a known fact. They, they, they know the, like, we know we're supposed to be wearing hijab. It's already known. So you're going to, you're bringing it up to them in in a case of like, uh, Hey, did you not know that hijab's in the Quran? Like, it's like, it's, it's a well-known fact. So I feel like it's not appropriate period. Um, that's my honest to God view. Um, I think if it's someone that you're close with, exactly that you can keep it real with them, but in no way, shape or form would I ever have the audacity to go up to somebody that I don't know. And like one, think of them as differently or beneath me, be if my hijab is a little bit better, because like I, like I said, like you could be better at fasting and I better, I'm not saying you are, but I, I understand this is my struggle. This is your struggle. So we have to like recognize and like, look at ourselves first before we have the audacity to go to somebody else and talking about right. what to do better. Um, so I think that that should just not happen ever. Um, obviously there's lines. Um, and if someone is completely unaware and they're coming in completely inappropriate and it's extremely disrespectful, then I think you have another sister that's, um, you know, pulls in to say, Hey, are you aware that this is what happens? You know, if not, I'm happy to help you, you know, it's a different approach. Um, but in general, as far as giving advice, it should be someone close to them. Exactly. And I'm sorry, I didn't clarify. That's what I mean. Like if you're close to somebody, right? So like, for example, I have a friend, uh, she was hijabi, you know, when that whole period of time happened where a bunch of the influencers were taking off their hijab at the same time, and it kind of blew up the internet. Yeah. 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 
exactly. So it was around the same time. And it was really hard for me to understand, like, how do I approach this with her? And for me, I was like, this isn't the the question. Oh, you're good. I didn't (laughs) clarify it. (laughs) And, and, but I think that your answer was really insightful. And it really emphasized some points that we made before that were worth emphasizing. But yeah, when somebody's close, when you're close to someone, like for me, I saw like her struggle is deeper than the hijab. I need to be there for her as a friend, Mm -hmm. first and foremost, and not just say, oh, well, by the way, you took off your hijab. So what you want to talk about that? (laughs) You know? Yeah. 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 I like, you know, I, it does happen with friends. I actually don't mention it because I don't want them to feel like, um, and this is just, you know, how I've handled it. I I just, I I don't even mention it to them because I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable because I have to recognize that. um, And I, and I I should clarify too, because I'm not talking about like my tight, tight friends, which I probably would have, you know, say something, but if it's like a friend that you see every now and then I don't say it because they're probably getting lots of other judgmental comments too. And they're on their own journey. And you know, if you can be there just as someone that loves a hijab and is, you know, um, loves modesty, then like, you know, we keep talking about influence, that positive influence can hopefully bring them back. Right. And then just personally, I, I understood from my experience, maybe you, you had something similar, that the, the more that I cultivated uh, my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more that I sought understanding the knowledge that I was hearing that I was being exposed to like diving deeper and really understanding that deeper meaning things that were beautiful that are beautiful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala became beautiful to me mm-hmm. over time mm-hmm. but I mean I come from a background with pageants etc all of these things and also like being raised you have to look a certain way to be respectful of others mm-hmm. and that was just like beaten into my head And it was really hard to shed those layers, right? It's very hard to shed those layers of what you've been raised with or the paradigm and worldview in which you live. And we're constantly bombarded by it. So it's like that compassion um, and explaining the deeper meaning, not just saying this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us. Yes, that should be enough for us, but it wasn't even enough, you know, like in the time of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam first, they focused on developing that relationship and love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then later the prohibitions kept starting. Yeah, exactly. And, and then it's also, you know, we keep talking about the why. Yes, like we could say, oh, do you work for your husband? Do you work for, you know what I mean? Right. You know, no, it, it should be solely for Allah because um, you know, relationships don't always last and we'll just come off just for your your husband or is it truly for Allah that you know this is why you're putting it on and when when you have this I just like everybody else I have that struggle too even though I'm saying like it's easy for me there are some days where I'm like I wish I could just have my hair blowing in the wind and like you know what I mean like not have to like because trust me the first thing when I walk through the door it's like (laughs) it gets like (laughs) on the floor you know what I mean because it's like you you need a break and stuff so it's like everybody has that struggle, but I always rec- recognize it's for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the beauty of it is, is that we have to recognize there is a beauty in the fact that when they see us, hijabi women, they can say she's Muslim. Right. And you're a walking dawah. 
Yes. And, and, and I'm sure you can testify that so many people will, and it's a reason for people to come up and say, you know, I'm really curious, can I ask? And so it's like, you know, it's a way for people to come and learn about Islam. So I take that as such a badge of honor um, that, you know, I'm wearing it for Allah, but then it's also a means of da'wah. Exactly. And for me, when I'm struggling with hijab, that's actually what has kept me uh, going because I'm like, okay, no, this is breaking stereotypes, of course, coming from a family that really doesn't understand Islam. I'm like, no, I'm proud. Like I'm one of only, one of the only hijabis in like my town. I think yeah. I've seen one other hijabi behind the pharmacy, like in the pharmacy at Walgreens. That's it. That is that is a struggle. I went up and like, I, it really is real. Like I went up and lived with my mom for like, uh, it was a long time ago um, in Traverse City, Michigan. And it yeah. was a small town. I was definitely the only Muslim in like, God knows how many, like I've, it was hard for me. It was hard to, keep on my prayer I did it but it was like it was hard to keep that motivation and that's why it's so important going back to what we keep saying is surrounding yourself with like-minded people when you're in that sense of community you know it it only helps your dean right and you never know I mean of course like I I thought okay everyone's against Muslims here like there's a lot of Trump flags and stuff like that so I was like uh there's a lot of misunderstanding um, due to the media that they're exposed to, but I was really pleasantly surprised. Like there, there are some people who come up, especially children, and they'll be like, um, I really like your hair <laughs> and they can't like, they don't know the word, but they're just uh, like, kids, yeah. and yeah, seeing that difference, like, and how they're reframing it, like to them, it's like, okay, where hair would be. So we're just going to say, we like your hair, but like, Mashallah. And then it's a, it's a moment to have a connection. It's a moment to dispel some misconceptions. Mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah. But I also love what you said is that it can also serve as a motivation for ourselves. I think a lot of sisters are afraid sometimes or hesitant to wear and own and claim the hijab because they're like, I'm an imperfect person. I'm, I'm not praying all the time or I'm not doing this or maybe I'm not a good representation of Islam. But don't let that hold you back because we are all imperfect and we are created imperfectly, right? To turn to Allah. Have you ever struggled with that? Or have you heard people struggling in, in the similar vein? For sure. It's kind of like saying to yourself, oh, I miss Fajr, so I shouldn't have prayed Doha. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, no, it, it's a, at the end of the day and the day of judgment, it's a scale. So if this is something you are able to do, anything you can do to add on to your good deed skill, you want to do it, especially if it's something that it's like not harming. Well, it's good for you, obviously, you know, it, it, especially if it's not this massive struggle. So it's, you never have this all or nothing attitude about Islam. It's as much as you can do and you keep, you know, um, growing slowly on your journey of uh, becoming a, a better Muslim. There's also the argument not to completely flip, but then I hear people talk about, um, you know, well, I'm a good person, right. so I don't need to pray. I don't need to wear hijab. Mm. And then you have the opposite where it's like, everything's mechanical. Bismillah, prayer. Like, it, it's like, did you say, you know what I mean? Right. It, but then there's, they lose the essence of being. So that's where the balance comes in. We have to focus on being a compassionate kind-hearted individual while trying to do, you know, what is asked of us as Muslims. 
Exactly. Alhamdulillah. Well, that, I mean, Jazakal Khair, Sister Lisa, for sharing some of your own personal journey. Really fascinating, mashallah. I had no idea that you wore hijab before you became Muslim or converted or uh, said your yeah. shahada. Yeah, subhanAllah. Um, what are a few takeaways from this conversation or the broader conversation that you are immersed in uh, because of your work and everything that you do in the community? And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep you and preserve you and bless everything that you do for his sake and to help other women in this journey, um, mashallah. But what are some three major takeaways, I think, that we can leave our audience with, inshallah? Um, I think, one, we all know that Islam is a journey. And so if you're afraid to do something like the hijab, like I said in the beginning, I wore it part time. I wore it during the day and it came off at night when I went to work, but it was a stepping stone. Mm -hmm. So if you're afraid to take that full leap, you know, start, start somewhere and everything's a journey. Okay. So um, maybe, maybe you'll do it half the day and take it off. Maybe you'll only do it on certain occasions, but then start, start somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then, like I mentioned, is to own it rock it, love who you are in your own skin, you know, have that confidence, you know, when you walk with confidence, everybody will respect you. Um, and so that's something I always, I teach my kids. I, I you know, I, I hope I uh, do it myself as well, but own it. Um, third takeaway is, um, <laughs> I'm thinking on this I want to say maybe balance because I think we talked about balance a lot yeah as a community we need to stop being so judgmental but then we also need to be self-aware of where we need to improve as ourselves mashallah I love those takeaways so number one don't go with the all or nothing approach and that actually goes with our, our last one, which is balance. Islam is a balanced path, is the balanced way. And own it and rock it. I love that message. And I think something that helps uh, is figuring out your own personal style, yes. reflecting on why you wear hijab, what hijab means to you, and uh, following people or being amongst people who really help you claim that and claim your identity and claim your identity as Muslim, right? right? linking it to that. So alhamdulillah, Jazakal Khair, Sister Lisa, for everything you are doing to help all our sisters out there, all of us out here, um, uh, become confident in ourselves and learn how to rock our hijab and rock our modest fashion and how that ties into everything. You're such an inspiration. Alhamdulillah. Um, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless the work that you are doing and Jazakal Khair for your time and being here today. Thank you so much. All right. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. Until next time, this is Sister Munir Madison signing off with the Remastered Podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs>